Amen. Thanks so much to the band for leading us in worship. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. We're in our second week of our series, This Is Us, as we look at what it means for us to be a church family, what it means for any church to be a church family, but specifically, because I can't speak to the other churches in the area, what it means for Grace Bible Church to see themselves in the way that God sees them. What it means for us to view ourselves as a gathering of people in the way that Scripture seems to demonstrate that. I grew up in church. Now, I know in 2017, that's not everyone's situation. I know that some of us have uh, spent our lives coming to church on a Sunday morning because that's what we've always been told that people do. I know that some of us, uh, we kind of slid through the door because some friends may have invited us. I know that some of you got tricked into coming this morning. Someone told you they'd pay for your lunch and you just showed up here with them. So there are lots and lots of reasons why we have shown up here. Uh, For me, I grew up in a home where my dad did not go to church, where my mom was sick with cancer. And um, the person who my church attendance fell upon was my my grandmother and I would spend the night with her on Saturday nights and that was always fun because she would pop popcorn and bake brownies and we watched the Golden Girls together which is highly inappropriate if I'm just being honest with you Uh, and then on Saturday Sunday morning not Saturday morning we weren't Adventists but on Sunday morning we would wake up and we would uh, get ready for church she would fry potatoes and she would fry biscuits and she would fry jam she just fried lots of stuff and we would go to church, and I, earned, I understood and grew in my understanding of what it meant to be at church from the regular Sunday morning gathering. And I learned lots of things about that church. I learned that um, when we got together that more than likely I'm going to go to a Sunday school class and a sweet little lady is going to teach me lessons from the Bible. And I learned that if I wanted to talk to the deacons, I would go out back where they were smoking and have a conversation with them. I learned that when we would get together in worship, that we were going to sing some songs. And the, the choir, we had, we had an old school choir complete with robes, uh, that they were going to sing songs and that we would uh, participate by listening. And then sometimes we would stand and we would sing. And my grandmother would open the hymnal and she would move her finger underneath the words of the songs so that I could follow along. And she would shush me. And I did not understand why she was shushing me for a long time. I remember all of these things. And I remember asking the question, well, why do we do this? And in my 40 years, I turned 40 last month, I've not really gotten a great answer. For people who do it, it, who've done it since the beginning of their lives, it's kind of expected of them. And some of us have different situations. Maybe you were in a place like me where someone made sure you were at church. Maybe you and your family started a church. Some of you may have been here when this church started. But have we ever thought about why? Why do we assemble together? Why do we make a point to gather together as a group of people? This series is called This Is Us. Our title for today is Family Matters. This is a matters to us. In 1989, uh, ABC, in the midst of the run of television shows called TGIF, they released a show called Family Matters. 
And Family Matters was a, about the Winslow family, an African-American family in Chicago, and they were ABC's answer to the Cosby show, minus sweaters. And as they would, this show, the pilot came out, it was not very well received. No one thought that it was funny because it's supposed to be centered around this family. The one part of the show that people loved was the neighbor. And his name was Steve Urkel. Does anyone remember Steve Urkel? And Steve Urkel, the first few episodes, you would notice him here and there. And then as time passed, he became the central figure of the show because if he was not on the show... It did not seem as if it worked properly. Urkel was the central figure. Look, there's lots of reasons. Thank you so much for putting that up. We gather together for lots of reasons. And I don't know. I've had conversations with some of you. We get together and you believe that you're supposed to see your friends here. And I think that it's great that we would see our friends here on a Sunday morning. But if you're coming to this place to see your friends, if that's your why, then eventually that's going to run dry for you. And if you're coming here on a Sunday morning to simply gain knowledge, to grow in what you know about the Bible, as I have pointed out to us multiple times in my six and a half months here, no one's ever going to put you on Bible jeopardy. And there's not a big winning for that anyway. If we're gathering together so that we can have an information overload... Because we believe that's what good people should be able to do. And we've missed the point. Here's what Tozer says about those of us who simply gather together around God's word as a source of information. He says this, the devil is a better theologian than any of us and he's the devil still. Why do we gather? We gather because of the death... And resurrection of Jesus. That is foundational. The Christian faith cannot be understood apart from it. It is the cornerstone is what scripture says. If you're a note taker. Here's some great passages for you to look look at. in, In light of Jesus being our cornerstone. Psalm 118 lets us know this. It's a recurring thread through the Bible. That Jesus is the cornerstone. Isaiah chapter 28 verse 16. The idea of Jesus being the cornerstone. We get to Acts chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. And Luke has picked up on the idea that Jesus is the cornerstone. When we look at the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 through 22, Jesus is the cornerstone. When we look at Romans chapter 9, verse 33, Jesus is the cornerstone. Because of Jesus and his death and resurrection as the cornerstone for the Christian faith, that changes everything. And all of the reasons that we would gather, they find their purpose in him. They find their focus in him. He is the why for this gathering. He is the why for the gathering at First Baptist Lake Jackson. He is the why for the gathering at Brazos Point. He is the why for the gathering at numerous churches that are going to center their worship around the person of Jesus. Jesus is our why because in the death and resurrection of jesus we see things change we see transition takes place take place what transitions take place because of jesus's death and resurrection well primarily we notice this that worship shifts 
from Saturdays to Sundays. It was evidently a really big deal because church folk made the decision that they were going to stop gathering on one day and start gathering on another. If that does not make sense, if you don't have church background, I need to point out to you, getting church people to change anything, you need an act of Congress and call Parliament too. But these people who were gathering had experienced the resurrection of Jesus. And the resurrection of Jesus as our cornerstone is our why. So, so go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, and, and we talk about coming to him, this living stone. Not a dead Jesus, but an alive Jesus. As you come to him, a living stone... Rejected by men. But in the sight of God, Jesus is chosen and precious. You yourselves like living stones. So our why as to Jesus as our gathering focus. His life is now present in the lives of those who gather around him. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices. Acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Because it stands in scripture. As I quoted to you multiple verses just a moment ago. Peter comes back at this. So, So hear this. You have Paul, the Bible's theologian of theologians. You have Luke, who is a doctor and who's like a shade tree theologian. Who hangs out with Paul. You've got Peter here who just does dumb stuff all of the time. But all you look at Isaiah who said, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. You see the Psalms where you have David who was a man after God's own heart but who also was kind of shady too. You see all of these Bible figures, I don't use the word characters, but these people who we know, who we have some type of connection to, they all say this about Jesus, that behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected, it's become the cornerstone. So you see Jesus, the why of our gathering, comes and immediately divides all of people forever. Because the hope of the world is in Jesus. That's what the scriptures lay out for us plainly. His death and his resurrection are our hope. And apart from that death and apart from that resurrection, there is no hope. You cannot be kind enough for God to love you. You cannot be smart enough for God to love you. You cannot be funny enough for God to love you. Attractive enough for God to love you. The love that God has for you is not based in what your enough is, but what his enough is, and his enough is that it is finished in the death and resurrection of Jesus. So we, as a group of people who come together, chosen and precious, we revolve our lives around this cornerstone, and we realize that there are those who are apart from the Christian faith that are divided from God. 
So we gather because we believe that Jesus is worth our gathering. Well, who are we? Who is the gathering community? Because we've just seen that there are some who are, who've seen him as the cornerstone. And there are some who stumble because of it. But this is what Jesus says to me and this is what he says to you. This is the identity that God has given us as believers in Jesus in 2017 and for forever. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people of his own possession. You, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. One more time, those are scriptures. You are a chosen race. That means that God plucked you from your stumbling and gave you a place to stand. That you are a royal priesthood, which means that the words of believers, followers of Jesus, we no longer need me, thankfully, because I've got a weak stomach, to slaughter animals in your place. Because Jesus in his death and resurrection as the why of our gathering has stood in our place as our sacrifice for now and for forever. We see that you are a holy nation. You are set apart by God. And you are a people for his own possession. So God uses words over and over through Peter to communicate that he has done a work to transition you, to transform you, to make you and to make me as believers unique. We love him because he first loved us. He's predestined us from, from the beginning of time. God has done this work to make us different. We gather because of Jesus. He's our why. But you and me, we're the who. So we get together in a room like this on a Sunday morning. And we celebrate all that Scripture says about what takes place in this first day of the week. You look through the Scriptures and you see the idea of the first of the week regularly. You, you, you see that the church gathered on the first of the week really because they found their basis in this, that Jesus was that Jesus was crucified and he was placed in a grave the, the ladies went to get him they went to, to check on the, the body and when they got there he was up they have a conversation with him the most i mean he is the most over qualified gardener in bible history and jesus meets with them we see that jesus on the first day of the week he met with the church in the he met with the disciples in the room. We, we see Jesus on the first of the week. We see that phrase used in, throughout the book of Acts. These believers gathered together on the first of the week. This is the gathering of the church in pockets. But we are these things. We're the capital C church. But that capital C church, it finds its recurring function in lowercase c churches like this. Look, when we read through the Bible, we, we see not a gathering of, of one church universal. We see these small embassies that reflect that church. We see that we are kingdom embassies placed where we are. 
So God has united this church. He's united the kingdom of God. He has brought this together. And there are embassies of that throughout the world. So what is an embassy? If you've ever traveled to another country, you will realize that if it's a country that is quasi-friendly towards us, they will have an embassy. And then if, if, this, if a country has grown cold towards America, that embassy will be shut down and removed. But in these embassies, you see this. You see a place where this nation, the United States is represented around the world. So there's a United States embassy in multiple countries throughout the world. Now that embassy is not a full representation of the United States. But what that embassy is and how it functions, it represents the United States where it happens to be. So when we look at what the church is for us, in context, and in the world that God has given us, our gathering serves as an embassy. Because we are part of a greater kingdom. And we gather together to worship a, a God who, is, who has died in our place and who has resurrected. Our embassy here, the kingdom embassy of God here, lowercase c church, we're one of those as Grace Bible. So when we get together, we are people who celebrate what God, who God is and what God has done. And we see as we look into the scriptures... How these lowercase c churches are supposed to function. How we, as a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, chosen by God, what needs to take place here on a regular basis? And why does our gathering matter? Our gathering matters because in this gathering we receive teaching from God's Word. Our basis for that comes from Acts chapter 20. But again, as we look through the idea of what the church is in Scripture, these concepts are not concentrated anywhere, but they are littered throughout as Paul speaks to what the church is and why the church is functioning in a certain way. So when we get together in here, we're going to hear teaching from God's Word. When we gather together here, we're going to read God's Word together. So when Jared throws verses on the screen, we read those scriptures together because we believe that God has a word from us from that. So it's always, and you'll hear me, there are weeks where we start reading from the screen and, and I'm reading along with whoever the main reader is. And people are, people are wondering, why is Chad talking out loud right now? Then there are other times where we all read together. The idea of the reading of Scripture is part of our weekly gathering. When we gather together, what Scripture has shown us is to be there, what is to be present, because Jesus is our why, is that we would sing to God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. They show us that in our gathering, singing should be present. Then when we get together, according to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, when we are assembled as a body of believers, there is a time of prayer there. Why? Because if we're not talking to the one who has given us a reason to be here, there is no point in this gathering. We would take communion as a body of believers, celebrating that Christ is our cornerstone, and that has been displayed to us in his death and in his resurrection. 
by the breaking of bread, by the, shed, by the taking of the cup. In the Bible's gatherings, you see a collection of resources. Now, it's 2017, and that works differently in different places. But we collect resources so that the church can function in the way that God has designed for it to function. So that we can be properly equipped to fulfill the mission of God here. Not because those resources are ours, but because God has given those to us to steward so that we could show that he's why we gather We are reminded as we look at all of those things that we assemble for a reason that is greater than anything in each of us. It's bigger than us. So when we gather, those things will happen. Well, how does this gathering impact and affect us and the people around us. Verse 10. You were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In that very language chosen by Peter, we, we see that God in his work in us has restored us, has given us a name, and has shown us that we are now people who have been given the mercy of God through who Jesus is. Now what takes place when this gathered people, who are now God's people, celebrating his mercy through the teaching, the reading, the singing, the prayer, the taking of communion, the collection of our resources, what happens here? Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So when we gather together, just practically, we serve to encourage one another to deal with the kingdom of darkness that we live in the midst of as people who represent the kingdom of light. Because this gathering is a Reminder from God that this world is not the end. So we sing songs to Jesus because we really believe that Jesus has done something unique in, and in us. And we really do trust as followers of Jesus that he's going to do things that are unique through us. So... The big popular question among multiple pastors and multiple theologians, who is this gathering for? It's a really heated argument for whatever reason. It's kind of a dumb one. Is this gathering for believers? Or is this gathering for non-believers? And the answer to that question is yes. And you'll hear arguments that will take place. Like, you know, someone will say, well, we shouldn't invite people to church because church is for the gathering of believers. And then someone else will say, well, you're dumb. And they go back and forth with one another. (laughs) 
Have you ever thought about how much it may affect a lost friend to see you gather together and worship with other believers? This has ramifications for us and it has implications outside of us. We gather together because we do believe that Jesus changes lives. And there's lots of questions that get asked like, well, what's supposed to happen here? Well, here's what I would encourage you to do. I would encourage all of us. And our hope for life groups is that they are empowering you. And I've got some really great life group leaders who I just trust. I've not even been to some of your life groups. I still trust you. Don't give me a reason not to. I'll bring the wrath. <laughs> but I've got these life groups who function. And, and, man, I do believe these guys and these girls are empowering our people to serve in the world that God has, served, has placed them in, to share the truth of who Jesus is. But I also believe this, that there are some of us in this room who, who don't know how to share the truth of who Jesus is. We struggle with the wording of it. So if all that you know is you should bring someone to church with you because you believe the gospel of Jesus will be taught, hey, go with what you know. Go with what you know. Because I love the people in this room enough to trust that they're going to be a representation of Jesus to those who are outside of relationship with him. If you don't believe that about these people, we should find a group of people who you do believe that about. This is a loving body of believers. And I really do believe that we can see God do incredible things here because we worship Jesus. Our hearts and minds are fixed and focused on Jesus. Twelve, it even talks about, about our conduct as believers. Uh, um, let me give you this from Tim Keller. He's one of my favorite pastors and my favorite Presbyterian. Uh, here's what he says. The weekly worship service can be very effective in evangelism of non-Christians and in the edification of Christians... If it does not aim at either alone, but is gospel-centered and in its language or vernacular. Let me break that down one more time. I'll give it to you one more time, and then we'll break it down. Wicked, wicked. Uh, the weekly worship service can be very effective in the evangelism of non-Christians. And in the edification of Christians, if it does not aim at either alone, but is gospel-centered and in the vernacular or in the language... This can serve both for your edification and for us to have it as a place to create conversations about the gospel of Jesus. Please trust that we are going to sing songs about Jesus because he is our why. We're going to read scriptures that declare mightily that Jesus is Lord because he is our why. We're going to break bread and take the cup together because Jesus is our why. We're going to trust that we're going to use the resources of this body of believers to make the name of Jesus famous to the ends of the earth because he's our why. That we're going to do all of these things and I'm going to teach scriptures because Jesus is our why. These things all happen because they come around Jesus. Well... Does our gathering impact lost people? Does the gathering of this family impact lost people? I would hope so. But with that, we have to see a shift in our own hearts as to how we see ourselves. 
So if this is a family, and I believe Scripture says we are a family. As a family, are we really good hosts? When Hope and I started dating, uh, for whatever reason, she liked me and we kept going with it. And there came a point where I was going to go have dinner with her parents. And Miss Susan's a fantastic cook, and I call her Miss because we're from, she's from Mississippi, and it's like I'm driving Miss Daisy all the time. But Miss Susan, she's amazing, and uh, her dad, uh, who worked for Homeland Security, uh, Miss Susan said to him, Mike, make sure you're not late. I think this guy might be the one. So Miss Susan, as my host, has made sure that there is an emphasis on when I get there, everyone being present. So I walk through the door, and it smells like lasagna because that's what she was cooking. It would have been weird if it smelled like anything else. (laughs) Smells like chicken in here. Tough luck. So I walk in, and she says, Mike's late. Uh, He'll be here soon. And I walk through the door, and he eventually walks through the door. And I've shared about my father-in-law. He's just, he's he's a man's man. And when he comes to the door, this man who's over at Homeland Security, he says, Chad, I'm sorry I'm late. And no one else remembers this story like I do, but I remember it wholeheartedly because it was the first time I'd ever interacted with it. And that's what they get all the time. I'm sorry I'm late. A man from Guatemala chopped his wife's head off with a machete, and I've had to shut the roads down out of the state. And I just stared at him. That's okay. I'm not ever going to touch your daughter, even when we're married. I'm going to order a stork right now. That's an exception as to what it means for him to be a host who is not present. We are working really hard to make sure that our 1030 gathering... It is a place where we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. And you, as members of this family, we are not guests. We are hosts. How weird would it be if you went to someone's house for dinner and they weren't there when you got there? Yet at 10.30 every Sunday, it looks like the zombie apocalypse has happened in this room. I want to encourage you to know that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, to proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And you tell me that you believe that this family matters... Let's do everything we can to be here on time. Not because we need you to come and clock in. I know you're loved. You clock in enough. But because we're saying that this revolves around Jesus and you're not late to anything else. And it affects people because it communicates a laissez-faire 
attitude that I don't believe that you really believe. Gather together to look at God's word, to read from it, to sing songs to Jesus, to pray to him, to take communion, to, to, to do these things because we say that Jesus matters. So for us as a body, let, let's say that with every ounce of our being. Not just in here, but out there. But when we're in here, let's host well. I want you to bow your heads with me. And um, band's getting in place, and we're going to take communion today because we've talked about it a little bit. I just want you to know God's not mad at you. I'm not mad at you. I'm... But I pray that our attitude will, my attitude about this gathering will not be a complacent one. Because it can be. I can get up here and run through a sermon. But we don't gather together so that I can get through a message. We get together so we can get through to people about how good Jesus is. So we're going to take this communion and celebrate how good we believe Jesus is. I'm going to ask my deacons. They, they see these plates, and they're always proactive. They're, they're going to pass this out as we, take this, as we sing this next song. And as you take the, the cracker and as you drink the juice, you do that at your own. Whenever you feel that the Lord has given you freedom to do so, if you are a believer. If you're not a believer in Jesus, it's a cracker and juice, and you don't need it. But if you have a relationship with Jesus, we take communion to celebrate that we believe that Jesus in his death and in his resurrection is the cornerstone for our faith. So take it. Remember.